Hello and get ready. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve Castle of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine, perfectly orchestrated destiny for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. Good morning, beloved. Welcome to the place where you are greatly loved. You will not get what I'm saying today in this message. Scout's honor. You will not get what I'm going to minister to today. You'll not get it in this message. You'll get the information, but you will not get the revelation. If you already have some of it, great great and good for you and way to go. But you are not going to... I'm going to cover five specific things. I'm going to cover them in a surface way that is going to be like a a B-1 bomber that flies over and carpet bombs these areas. But you can avoid the landing zone, if you want, by just going on about your cool life. Everything I'm going to minister today is going to be contrary to culture and it's going to be mostly contrary to the church and to the religion of your past. And if you don't allow the information to be chewed on, to be meditated, it cannot turn into revelation. And if you do not have revelation, you cannot, cannot have transformation. Information that is meditated on becomes revelation. Revelation that has permission to work in your life becomes transformation. And there's just no other way around. There there is no fast food version of this. That's why discipleship is a lifetime. That's why people like Abraham, it took 17 years for him to have the promise. It took David 13 years to get to the throne. It took Paul, the Apostle Paul, in the New Testament, under the inspiration of the Spirit of Grace, knowing the Gospel. He had to go away for three years in the desert to sort his own head. And then 13 years, he wasn't allowed to minister. Paul. And we got a ton of folks that walk in and say, okay, well, I'm going to church and I got my, my little order card. And I'm getting healing today, and I'm getting this, and I'm getting this, and I'm getting this, and I'm getting this. And pastor, if you don't preach it good, it's your fault. It happens a lot. I talk to Christians, I minister all day long. I'm not a minister on Sunday morning, I'm a minister, period. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, everywhere I go, I'm a minister. I minister to people, I encourage people, and I cannot tell you how many times I've... Um, been witnessing to somebody in some random place, and they say, "Well, you know, the reason I didn't get what I what I thought Christianity was about is because of that church, because that preacher." You know that people left Jesus's church, right? 
the the greatest preacher that's ever existed in the universe for all of time had people leave his church because they didn't like his message. I'm going to talk a little bit about the finished work of the cross. A little bit, the reason I say a little bit, is because it's this great big huge subject. It's pretty much the message of Beloved Church. This is the house of grace. We're called to affect you with the finished work of the cross, with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was planted and founded because I had a radical encounter with the goodness and the love of God that absolutely devastated my life for uh, satanic energy ever again because of how greatly I'm loved. <laughs> Amen. Stay on point. And so we, we birthed this church by the, the love and the goodness and the grace of God, but specifically how that is impacting your life because of what Jesus had accomplished. It's not just that God is good, even though He is. It's not just that God loves you, even though He does. It's about what does that actually do in your life? There's a ton of folks that live in spiritual constipation because they know some of those general truths, but they just can't release things. And I'm a specialist in spiritual constipation. Come out! (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit about the finished work of the cross. Five specific areas. Um, And I want you to get a copy of this message, CD, YouTube, whatever. I'll send you notes, whatever it'll take to get this stuff into you. But you've got to get this. This is a core value of who we are in Beloved Church. You hear me reference the finished work of the cross a lot. So now you're going to hear some of the reasons that I talk about this incessantly. Go to John chapter 19 in the Holy Word of God. Um, If you don't have a, a physical Bible, please get out your electronic device that I know that you are not affectionately addicted to. Please open up your Bible. The psalmist says that thy words are more precious than silver and more costly than gold. I can assure you if I walked up to the average person and I offered you a pound of gold, I could probably make you wet your pants. But if I offered you a Bible that weighed a pound, most folks would say, well, I got ten of those. Now you know why you ain't got a pound of gold. Because that's your opinion of the Word of God. I want you to have a high value and a high opinion of the Word of God because the Word of God is Jesus. Don't tell me that you love Jesus and you don't love the Word. John chapter 19. I'm going to start in verse 14. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. That's important. It was Passover. Um, It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews... Uh, this is talking about Pilate. This is after Jesus was arrested. This is after they were beating him. They were already doing the mock trial. There, it was all is already rolling. The cross was a coming, and Pilate was facilitating his part. Um, his part was as the Gentiles. He had to be play his part as the leader of the known world of the Gentiles. He had to take a part prophetically in the arrest and death of Jesus. Otherwise, all the Gentiles would be like, we didn't kill Jesus, it was the Jews. 
And there's actually some of that. There, there has been a history in the church of Christians hating Jews because they say the Jews killed Jesus. No, 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 no. We all killed Jesus. You don't get to say those Jews. You don't get to say those, those Gentiles under Pilate. You don't get, no. It was our sins that hung him on that cross that he had to pay for. We don't get to blame anybody on that deal. He went for you. He said, uh, Pilate said to the Jews, behold your king. Now this is, the next statement is really important. Which is, they cried out, away with him, away with him. The people of God, the leaders of Judaism said, away with him, away with him. Now think about that. This happens all the time. When Jesus shows up in our life, there's parts of us that want to rise up and say, away with him. I'm doing my own thing. Away with him, away with him. And uh, away with him, away with him, crucify him. The Jews, the leaders said, kill him. Now this is interesting because the Jews actually didn't believe in crucifixion. This was a Roman practice. They submitted to the world's authority and the world's way because of their hatred for Jesus. And I know, look, we all super love Jesus. But I can assure you that if you were alive physically on the day that Jesus was on this planet, you wouldn't be all like, hey, Jesus. You'd struggle. You would super struggle. And I know you're thinking that you are holier than thou. But I got news for you. You seeing Jesus in the flesh, he was as human as anybody in this room. As human as. And he was offensive. His message has gotten people's sandboxes every time he opened his mouth. People, he was not loved. It, the, uh, the prophetic, the, the, The prophet Isaiah said that he was rejected and despised by mankind. He wasn't just, uh, he didn't just make the Pharisees and the Sadducees irritated. He just irritated them to the point where they wanted to kill him. He basically irritated everybody. Because it was so different. And there was a requirement. There was a, I got to move on. There was built into it. There was either respond or die. It was respond or die. And we still to this day, you say that and people get offended now. If you really believe in such and such, if you really believe that God is going to do something about your finances, then I will be able to look at your check register and see your giving and prove it. And I've got news for you. All the, um, not all, a ton of folks that are saying that they want God to do stuff in their finances, they don't. I'm telling you, they don't. And they can say it until they're blue in the face, but they don't. Well, look, I gave one time six months ago. Well, God bless you, sweet cakes. It doesn't work that way. This is either a commitment and you are completely sold out to how the kingdom works in finances or you're doing it 50-50. And i got news for you. If you add a little Jesus to whatever you think is going on, you have just defiled him. You don't get to add a little Jesus. Jesus plus anything you do 
equals zero. Jesus plus nothing that you do equals infinity. It's the same thing in health, physical healing. A ton of folks that say that they really believe that by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. I could probably go and look at your lifestyle and look at your medicine cabinet and say otherwise. No, I believe by the stripes I'm healed, but everything after the but is what you really believe. I believe that God has blessed me and he's going to make me prosperous, but. Everything after the but is what you really believe. They believe so much that Jesus was the false prophet, that he was Beelzebub, that he was not supposed to be doing it, that they killed him. God bless them. At least they put action to what they believe. Crucify us, sorry, but. Trying to pretend like he's God. Who does he think he is? And the reason I can prove that almost all of this room would have rejected him in the flesh is because if I stand up here and I say, thus saith the Lord, as a human, under the inspiration of the Spirit of Christ, which is the same Spirit that was in him, I'm as human as he was, I'm under the inspiration of the same Spirit that he was under, which means that my words could be his words, and I say it from up here, and I know a bunch of people roll their eyes and say, there goes Steve again. If you reject Christ in the flesh in me... You would have rejected Christ in the flesh in him. (laughs) Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answers, we have no king but Caesar. What did they just do? They submitted the kingdom of God, which was in Israel and Judah. They submitted the kingdom of God to the kingdom of this world. We have no king but Caesar. Judaism died in that moment. Judaism is a false religion. I'm sorry if that offends you. We don't hate Jews. We don't hate Arabs. We don't hate Muslims. We don't hate anybody. That's not the point. But Judaism is a false religion. If you get someone to practice any part of Judaism, you have just sent them to their demise, to death and to hell. Judaism is a false religion. <laughs> I'm sorry. And there's, there's a ton of this going on in the body of Christ. People blowing shofars, wearing prayer tallits, and doing Passover meals and seders and all this kind of stuff. And Judaism is reinserting itself in the church. I'm here to tell you, that it was the same thing that was affecting the churches that Jesus wrote to in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. That he said, you better watch out for them Judaizers. Because those Judaizers are on their way and they're doing terrible stuff in your churches. Flee religion. Judaism religion or Christianism religion. But whatever it is, flee. The chief priest answers, we have no king but Caesar. Next verse. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. He, Pilate, delivered them, delivered Jesus over to the Jews to be crucified. How many people thought, thought Rome crucified him? No, Rome was just the, the supervisory agent. The Jews were the ones that crucified him. The Jews were the ones he was sent to. Next verse, please. 
And he went out, hearing his own, uh, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is in, which is in Aramaic, Golgotha, the place of the skull. There, were, there they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. He, was, he died in between two rightfully condemned sinners. He died with the transgressors. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on a cross and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of all the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek so that all of the known world would know that Jesus was the king of the Jews. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write that. <laughs> don't write that he's the king. Write that he said that he was the king. <laughs> What's the difference? He's the eternal word of God. Pilate answered and said, hey, <laughs> shut up. That's a paraphrase. What I say, what I writ, I writ. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. That was to fulfill scripture, prophecy, one part for each soldier. Also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one place from the top to the bottom. It was a high priestly tunic. And so they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots to see whose it shall be. And I'm skipping over a ton of stuff, but there is moment after moment after moment after moment of prophetic requirements being fulfilled in what Jesus did. He just didn't die like, okay, great, Jesus died. Because he could have just went home and drew his last breath and laid down on a bed and died. Every part of this had to fulfill a specific prophetic truth about what we were redeemed from. You're redeemed from gambling. <laughs> Which includes scratch-off tickets. There's a sandbox moment. Let us not tear it. Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. Can you think about this? Like you're killing a guy. And you're like, hey, let's not rip his clothes. Let's shred his body. Let's kill him. But dear, like don't rip his coat. I know that we're all shaken, but this happens in today's world. Where people, you know, you can go to federal prison for five years. For touching, touching an eagle egg. An unborn eagle. And you can get money from the government to kill an unborn child. You can make money. And as topsy-turvy as it is that they were literally killing Jesus but wanting to protect his coat so somebody could own his coat. If you don't transfer this over into what's going on in our world today, you're going to miss this. This, was, uh, this fulfilled the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, it's actually Cleopas in the King James, and Mary Magdalene. 
When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that was the Apostle John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And to the disciple, behold your mother. I am skipping over a ton of stuff. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Jesus was... Okay, let me say this real quick. Jesus was a have-Jew. I say that, and people literally get offended. No, he was Jewish. No, he wasn't. He was half-Jew. God the Father is not a Jew, y'all. And saying that, people are like, well, he, he's not? <laughs> no, he's not. He's God. <laughs> he's just, uh, anyway. <laughs> then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And that hour the disciple took him into and made her his own. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now, what? All was finished. Jesus did what he was called to do. And I'm pausing there on purpose that you get this because there's there's still probably people in this room and I know they're out there that you're waiting for Jesus to do something. Okay. Let's do this. Let's do this together. I know some of you won't because you're uh, arrogant. Let's all say... I know, talking in church. Let's all say, I love Pastor Steve. I love Pastor Steve. <sighs> I've been affirmed, Father. There are still a ton of folks in this room, connected to us by YouTube, part of this church, not in this room, that you are waiting for Jesus to do stuff for you. God bless your little soul. Jesus finished what Jesus needed to do. And right now, he is seated at the Father's right hand. Seated, could say chilling, expecting, this is a Bible verse, look it up, expecting until his enemies are made his footstool. Well, if he's sitting and he's got his feet propped up, then he's waiting for us, the body of Christ, to take all of his enemies, sew them into a footstool, and put them under his feet. And we are saying, Lord, please put this stuff under our feet. And he's saying, sweetie, (laughs) love you, put them under my feet. And so then this argument takes place for however long you're a Christian, 40 years, 50 years, 80 years, however long, like, God, do this. And he's like, hey, Steve, why don't you do this? No, God, you do it. No, Steve, again, I'm the God, like I get to say, you're supposed to do it. No, you're supposed to do it. This happens... All day, every day, in a ton of Christians' lives. Jesus, knowing, knowing that it was finished, said, I thirst. That was the sour wine. He had 
There was a prophetic fulfillment that he was middle engagement with, with middle engagement with, which was he had to take the sour wine, which was the bad spirit. Wine speaks of the Holy Spirit. If it went sour, we're talking about evil spirits. So he had to take and become the evil spirit of death, of the grave, of torture, of wrath. He had to become that. He didn't just take it on. He became that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Jesus became sin for us. Jesus became a pedophile. Jesus became a rapist. Jesus became a murderer. That'll get me thrown out of most churches in America. I can't change the Bible. It said it. I'm telling you what the Bible said. Jesus became sin. He didn't do it. He became it. And if you don't understand that truth, you will never understand how you became the righteousness of God. Because if you did righteousness and that's how you became righteous, then you didn't need Jesus in the first place. You could have just became righteous. But because you were incapable of ever doing the righteousness of God, you had to become it based upon Him giving it to you. This was the same thing that Jesus did. Jesus became sin by humanity giving it to Him. Not because He did it, not because He was guilty of it, but because we did it and someone had to pay for it. Knowing that what He is doing was finished, He said, I thirst. And so the next verse says, A jar full of sour wine stood there, and they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch. And every one of these things are prophetic. And held it to his mouth. And then verse 30 says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, Tetelestai. Tetelestai is what he said. He said, Tetelestai! And gave up his spirit, which is the spirit, which is the spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit. Gave up his spirit, the spirit, your spirit. You have the same, if you're born again, you have the same spirit. Romans 8.11 says that, if the same Spirit that raised up Christ Jesus dwells in your mortal body, it will quicken you and make you alive. Romans 8, 9 says that if you don't have the Spirit, then you are none of His. So this Spirit was the Spirit that He gave up, which was the Spirit that He received when He was baptized in the Jordan. Why do you have to give it up? Because the Spirit of holiness was not going to hell. The soul of Jesus. And this is the part that really bothers me that people don't get this. They watch something like The Passion of the Cross with Mel Gibson and they say, man, look what Jesus went through. Look what they did to his body. Look how terribly they treated him. Look, you have no clue what they did to his soul. You don't have a clue. Those of you that are in here that are struggling with soul issues, and I know there's a ton of you. I get it. Things that happened to you in the past, emotional problems, Things, uh, condemnation, guilt, or shame, or something like that. When you're struggling with emotional problems, the reason is because you really, truly don't understand what Jesus did for you at the cross. 
It wasn't just his body that got thrashed. His soul went through more than his body went through. Imagine being God forever. And when I say forever, that's a God word. All of you people that use the word forever, you need to stop doing it because it's a God word. You're not allowed to use a God word unless you're using it in God tense. Forever, ever, always, all the time. You really should never say those terms. Those are God terms. And you need to take them out of your vocabulary because you don't know what forever is. You don't know what all the time is. And you're defiling your heart. And you need to stop doing it. Jesus was God forever, with God, perfectly God, all God, and then became sin in his soul. He took on him the condemnation of the world. He took on the guilt, the shame, the condemnation of being a pedophile. Whatever your terrible sin is, whatever the mo- a murderer a blasphemer. He became the person that would blaspheme God in his soul. Talk about soul issues. He became that. It wasn't just about his body, y'all. He was thrashed in his soul. He was buffeted and buffeted and buffeted and buffeted and buffeted and buffeted to death. If you remember, and you guys, those of you that were part of last, the last series that I did, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said that my soul is greatly heavied unto death. It wasn't his body, beloved. Like, people have been tortured on this planet since we've had a planet. Uh, the movie that I just referenced last week, Mel Gibson, like, they tortured him to death. Like, people have been taking physical torture forever, like, and actually sticking up to it. Like, you can torture me, but I ain't going to deny Christ. You know, I'm not going to, because it never gets into your soul. They can hurt your body, but they can't do anything to the inside of you. Jesus allowed that inside part to be worse than the outside part. And you're still struggling with your emotions? What happened to you when you were five? God bless you. If you knew this, you wouldn't. Jesus said, it is finished and sealed it by giving away his promise, which was the Holy Spirit, which is our promise. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, which is the promise of God. And I want to show you a little bit, and this is just an illustration of what happened in his soul, but I want you to get this because when I go into these five finished works, I want you to understand what that means on the inside of you. Not just the outside, but the inside of you. So, Mitch, can you play that, please? Tetelestai. Tetelestai. This is what he said. And I need you to wrap your brain around the fact that Tetelestai is what you're about to see. I know that's cartoonish or whatever and obviously visually if you were there you wouldn't have seen that but that gives a a clear understanding of what happened on the inside and there's so many things I could talk about this I've literally meditated this for thousands of hours thousands of hours I've gone to Golgotha I've gone there I have sat at the cross I have had him bleed on me 
And he's willing to do it. But the scriptures, you need to understand, like, there was more going on than just some dude getting beat. When he died, there was an earthquake that shook the entire earth. A worldwide earthquake. Satan worked so hard to kill Jesus that at his moment of death on that cross, he had all of the power of death on Jesus to kill him, so much so that people were popping out of graves. And I know that some of you are like, what are you talking about? It literally talks about it in Matthew that when Jesus died, that other people were coming back to life and walking through the city. Could you imagine, you know, Uncle Uncle Frank who's been dead for a year and you're chilling downtown Jerusalem and Uncle Frank's like, hey, what's up? Talk about zombie stuff. Like, and they, they popped up in resurrection life. They didn't walk around zombies. They were, that's how much death it took to kill Jesus. That earthquake that took place. There was a ton of things that happened at that cross. So when Jesus said, T, tell us die, and he says, it's finished, I can assure you, beloved, it's finished for you. It's finished for God. It's finished for heaven. It's finished for hell. It is finished. So this word tetelestai has five basic applications and I'm going to give them to you real quick and I pray that you go and study these things out to prove. The Bible says in Acts chapter 19 that the Bereans were people that were more honorable than anybody Paul had ever ministered to and the reason that they were the most honorable people that he ever ministered to is because when he gave them truths, they went away from his meetings and studied the scriptures to prove that those things were true. You are never going to get healed because Steve said so. You are never going to have health in your soul and healing in your soul because Steve said so. If you don't get this, you ain't getting it. All I can give you is what I have. But you have to take it and it has to become yours. And I pray that there's a day that when you're out there talking to people in your life that you don't say, well, my pastor says, you say, God told me that by His stripes I am healed. Because it's not about Steve saying it. It's not even really about your book saying it. It's about the Father saying it to you. When you get that, those words will bring healing to your life. So the first application is the word tetelestai in the Greek was something that a servant said to his master after he completed a mission. It's an apostolic return. Jesus was the chief apostle. He was the first apostle. He was the first sent one. Apostolic means sent. And Jesus accomplished the mission that he was called to accomplish. In John chapter 4, when he was ministering to the woman at the well, many of you might remember this, that he finally revealed himself as the Christ for the first time really ever in scriptures. And in John chapter 4, while he was having this back and forth with this gal, the disciples walked up and they're like, whoa, 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 Jesus, we don't talk to chicks. Uh Uh-uh, not to be done. And you definitely don't talk to Samaritan chicks, because they're like the worst of all the chicks. Jesus was the original uh, defender of femininity. He had people on his staff that were gals. It's another reason that the Pharisees hated him. And we still have this going on in church today. If you're a woman, you are a second class citizen in the church. Them poor suckers. 
that are leading churches that are not getting some of the most anointed people in their congregation to help them fulfill their mission. Poor suckers. I, I really feel terrible for them. If you're a gal, if you're a gal and you're in a church that you don't have, that you're not valued for what God has valued you with, please leave. Just please leave. Because there's a ton of churches, like ours, that actually believe that you are a son of God as well. After he ministered to her in John chapter 4, um, the disciples were fussing at him for talking to a gal. And he said unto them in verse 32, I have meat. They, they actually went to get him some, some food because he was hungry and tired. He was hungry and tired. He sat down at the well. He talked to the woman at the well, hungry and tired, and started ministering. Man, I, I want to develop these things so much and I can't. If you're hungry and tired on the inside, it's probably because you're not actually doing the will of your father. Those of you that are tired all the time, and it's an inside kind of tired, and you feel like you're worn out, and you feel like, let me just say this real quick, and I'm going to move on. You're doing it wrong. I'm sorry. And I don't even know anybody in the room. So I can say this and look at people, because I don't know who's, because you could fake it. You could look at me with wide eyes, and yeah, I'm wide awake, Pastor. Like, you're doing it wrong. If, you're, if life is wearing you out, you're doing it wrong. You're supposed to rule and reign, and you're supposed to use the energy of the kingdom. So if life is wearing you out, you're doing it wrong. I'm sorry. It's just true. You, and this truth can bring freedom in your life. Okay. And he said to them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. He didn't need physical energy because he had the energy of grace or the energy of what he said, doing the will of my Father. The next verse, verse 33, says, Therefore said the disciples one to another, How did he eat? Did someone sneak him a sandwich? Because they couldn't comprehend the fact that someone could literally physically get energy from spiritual truth. It still happens today. We're so carnal today that we think that we're never really going to get anything from the Spirit. If you're hungry, you've got to get a sandwich. Jesus knew if he was hungry, he just does the will of his Father and pow! <laughs> and I'm not saying this because I know people are thinking about lunch right now. I am kind of saying it because people are thinking about lunch right now. If you receive what I got, you're going to walk out here like, whoo, look at that belly. It's, <laughs> Jesus said that out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Amen. Out of your belly. Yeah. Think about that. Apply that towards like hunger. Some of the reasons that some of the reasons that people are fat <laughs> is because they think that they need to be filled with food from the outside. If they were filled with the spirit from the inside, they'd be less fat. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm meditating on the cross. God can fill you. Like, it, you don't have to satisfy. You know, some of the, some of people's weight problems is actually emotional stuff. It's soul stuff. Because. And I, trust me, listen, I was fat. I had to get some stuff sorted in my life. And if you don't like fat, I'm sorry, I'll say overweight or obese or whatever makes it more pretty for you. But it's, it's actually not, you're not overweight 
because of your genes or because it would, it's actually just be, you have a deficiency in your life that you're not allowing the spirit to fill. And he can fill it, I promise you. But you've got to commit to allow that to happen. And God loves you, and I love you. In fact, some of you, I, don't, I can't imagine a thin version of you. I like hugging your big old selves. And I'm okay with that. I don't have, I'm not condemning anybody at all. Trust me, hear my heart. Like, I wasn't condemned when I lost the weight that I needed to lose. It wasn't, I didn't do it for condemnation. I did it because I wanted to enter into these truths. And you, you can, listen, God loves you. The fatter you are, the more God loves you because there's more of you to love. Amen. Amen. Amen, said all the fat people. Jesus said unto them, my, wheat, my meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish. It's not just to do. It was to finish. Did He finish? John 17, this is the great high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed. He said, these words spake Jesus in verse 1, lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. The word glorify is the word doxa in the Greek, and it means of high value, of high praise, of high opinion. So the glory of God means that God's high value, high opinion, and high praise is on you. Man, I can't just go into that. Glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee. Well, just let me translate that. Give high value, high opinion, and high praise to your son, that your son may give high opinion, high value, and high praise back to you. Some of the reasons that people have a terrible opinion of the father is because of you. (laughs) Nobody liked that. I didn't think so. Okay, well, let me say it this way. The father told me one time, some of the reasons that people don't have a better opinion of him is because of me. And I said, sorry. And I decided to change that. If you live sourpuss and angry and upset and you hate your family and you hate your job and you hate your boss and you say terrible stuff on Facebook and you cuss folks out and you think that you're justified to run the person off the road and then you go to church and you say, praise Jesus... (laughs) any hooser as you have given him power the word power in the Greek is azuja as you have given him authority over all flesh now check this out that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him he has authority over humanity so that he can give them eternal life eternal life means the perpetual quality and quantity of life that God Himself has. If you are not experiencing the perpetual quality and quantity of life that God Himself has, then you still have things that you can press into. And this goes in every part of your life. Every part of your life. Jesus literally didn't even acknowledge the curse. When people showed up sick, he was like, why in the world are you sick? Right? Didn't he say, remember when the woman uh, that was bowed over that came to his church service? <laughs> and I could talk about this forever. The bowed over woman came to his church church and she was bowed over for, uh, for uh, 12 years. And Jesus looked at her and all the people in the, in the church service was like, oh, don't you dare. 
go healing people in church? Amen. Because they were all Presbyterians and... Never mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I try not to do that. They were of those other denominations that don't believe that God heals. And they said, don't you, don't you dare, because they knew he could. <laughs> That's kind of funny. I know God can, but you just don't do it here, big boy. So anyway, Jesus looks at her, and this is what he said to them. He said, ought not this daughter of Abraham be whole? He literally is like, are you guys for real? She is a daughter of Abraham. She has a covenant with God. Why in the world is she sick? What is wrong with you? He put it back on them. Hey, priest. Why is a daughter of Abraham who has a covenant with God that says that she's supposed to be healthy, why is she bowed over in here all these years? What's wrong with you? And you know what they did? They shut up. Because <laughs> he was right. Why are people sick in the church? Amen. James says, if, in James chapter 5, if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. And they'll pray over them and anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the word save is the same word for healed. So if you say, I'm saved, you actually are saying, I'm healed. Saved, healed. It's the same word. Go look it up in the Bible. Sozo. Saved means healed. Healed means saved. It's the same word. If God heals you, He saves you. If God saves you, He heals you. I I know that's... Whoop. It doesn't change it. It's still true, whether we like it or not. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. I have seen this literally countless times where people call me. Hey, you're the elders of the church. I'm in your church. I am experiencing a symptom. Please do your thing. I do my thing. I don't even have to operate in a ton of faith because they already got faith because the scriptures are true. But James says, if there's any sick among you. Why do you say if? If he wrote the book of James in 2020, he would have said, man, let me tell you about all them sick folk at your church. You don't say if there's someone sick. You say if there's someone sick in the row. That row. That row, that row, that row, that row. Like they actually operated in this stuff way better than we do. If there's someone sick. Jesus goes on to say, as you have given me eternal life, I give them all that, uh, all that you give to me. And this is eternal life that they may know thee, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You know, eternal life isn't something you get in heaven. <laughs> Amen. People read John 3.16 or hear it quoted and they're like, well, yeah, well, one day I'll get eternal life. If you believe one day you'll get eternal life, you're going to hell. You ain't getting it. You either get it or you don't. It's not in the sweet by and by in the afterlife. If you don't have it now, you don't get it in some magical unicorn pixie dust moment at the end of your last breath. (laughs) You get it now. And what is it? It's knowing God. It's knowing God. Listen, it's not about knowing about God. It's not about even knowing about his nature, his character, the way he operates. All those things are good, and I encourage you to do them. But you can know what Steve does without knowing Steve. This is important. You need to know him. Like, this is personal. Every day, every moment of the day. If you have ever experienced 
loneliness. I can assure you, you don't know him the way you could. How can you be lonely when God literally lives on the inside of you? I literally look for opportunities to be lonely so I can be with God. I go for a walk every night, and when Kay doesn't go walking with me, it is me and Jesus. And I'm like, whoo, going for a walk. I get to be with Jesus. And I'm not saying, you know, people take this stuff like, okay, don't call pastor, don't email him, don't talk. I'm not saying that. Call me all you want. Text me, email me, I'll get to you when I get to you. But man, there's just some times, I'm just going to go be with Jesus. You should, if you have ever experienced loneliness, you don't get this. That you cannot go anywhere and He's not with you. This will also probably change your movie habits. You're on a date with Jesus all the time. What kind of movies are you taking Him to? (laughs) Moving right along... Verse 4 says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have. That's past tense. I have finished. Jesus said that. How could he say that in John 17? Because it was two days. It wasn't even two days. It was about 20 hours. And he finished. And he drew his last breath. Prophetically, he could say, I finished it. Because in his heart, it was already finished. His face was sent as a flint. You know, if you actually would call yourself victorious over some of the things that you're fixing to go into battle with, you would actually not even know about the battle and you'd just experience the victory. Number two. Number two. Tetelestai was the equivalent of the Hebrew word that was spoken over the, at the end of the sin, the Passover sin offering. At the end of the Passover sin offering in the Old Testament, the high priest would come out after offering the blood on the Holy of Holies, on the mercy seat. He'd come out of once a year. He was allowed to go in there one time, once a year, with perfect blood from a perfect lamb. And he would spill it out for the sins of the entire nation. And he would come out of the tent and he would stand in the in the place where everybody was gathered. And he would hold his arms out and he would say, it is finished. The blood has been offered for all of you. The sins have been atoned for for one more year. You can live free from guilt and condemnation with your God because the blood of the Lamb that was placed on the mercy seat has redeemed you from the curse of sin. Jesus said, Tetelestai. Your sins, past, present, and future, have been completely and fully atoned for. And the reason you're struggling in your conscience with it is because you've never applied the blood to your conscience. Hebrews chapter 9, Neither by the blood of bulls and goats, but by His own blood He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this and for this cause he is the mediator of a new testament and by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament 
that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Eternal inheritance. When we first started Beloved Church, this is funny. A little funny comical story, then I'll move right on. We were, we were doing our thing in our little, those, a ton of you don't know this. We started the Beloved Church in a funeral home in Pearl City, and there were times that we had dead bodies and church at the same time. And in that funeral home is where we established Beloved Church. It was a terrible little place. It had bugs. It was smelled bad. And it could have been like the greatest place as far as I was concerned. And we had church in there and we were ripping it. We were doing stuff. We're going and people are coming. It was shocking. People were coming. Crazy. Weird people like Stacy and Cindy and the Downses and the Lots, like weird people. And they're coming and you can't run them off and they're staying and mom and Jim are doing their best to try to handle them because they got the crazy kid that's doing all. And people are coming, 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 coming. We're going to two services. We're doing all this crazy stuff. So the owner of the funeral home comes up to me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, preaching. He goes, what are you preaching? I said, the truth. He goes, no, that can't be true because there's other churches in the town and they ain't got people coming to there and they ain't getting excited about stuff and it ain't happening over there like it is over here. What are you preaching? I said, bro, I'm telling you, I'm preaching the Bible. I'm preaching the truth. He said, are you offering people eternal security? (laughs) I said, yes. He said, that's it. That's why. He's like, you need to be careful offering people eternal security. That they might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. I said, okay, I'll be careful. So next Sunday, I preached on eternal security. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, and every priest stands daily ministering and often, oftentimes the same sacrifices. In the Old Testament, same sacrifices, same sacrifices over and over and over. It was religion, but it was the best they had. <laughs> Don't offer the same sacrifices over and over. When we come into worship, offer a fresh which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifices for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting that his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Who's been made perfect? Okay, half of the church. The other half will get you born again. No, you can come up and get perfect today. Like, this is going to be a fun day. Altar team, ready yourselves. Because there's half a church that's going to be sanctified and perfected forever in this place today. Ah, preacher, you're manipulating the Bible. Please, tell me how. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. That's you. It's not some other person that got sanctification and you got the leftovers and we'll just maybe usher your sorry butt into heaven. No, you have been sanctified. The word sanctified means set apart. It means made holy. You've been made holy because of what he did, not because of what you did. Dear Jesus. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost, this is why you people... That resists the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that resists the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or resist operating in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is why you struggle a lot. Amen. 
Because the Holy Spirit's purpose in your life is to stir up these truths. If you're embarrassed to speak in tongues, you're, in spirit, you're embarrassed of God. There's another sandbox moment. Amen. The Holy Ghost is a witness for us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I will write them. And their sins and their iniquities, I'll forget for a second. And then I'll come back to them and say, remember what you did yesterday, you terrible kid. Your sins and your iniquities will I, this is God, saying, I will remember them no more. more. You know, all you married people, you're probably really good at keeping notes. You know what we call that? Antichrist. Yeah, okay, yeah, that way. Hey, that's a good word, preacher. Said all the single people. All the single people say amen. Because you remember people's sins. You know what you did to me last week? Mm-hmm. I'm cutting you off. I have to cut Kay off all the time. That would be an editable moment. Editable moment. If you think that you have the right to cut off or not cut off or withhold or based upon somebody's activities, then the Bible calls you the accuser of the brethren, which in Greek is Satan. It's satanic to remember people's evil and sins. It's satanic. I can't delve there either. I've got to move along. Number three, in a secular sense, the word tetelestai, what Jesus said, in a secular sense, is what they stamped on the bills when you paid them. It's what they stamped on the bills when you paid them. If you pay a bill, you, those of you that kind of still, I mean, we're still in the cool part of America where you can actually deal with real human beings, and you can walk into like the dry cleaner, and they take the little bill down, and then they stamp it with it, Paid in full, right? T-Telesta. T-Telesta. So what Jesus did in the atonement was he dealt with, firstly, T-Telesta was dealing with the nature of sin. Which is what Adam gave you. You got a gift from Adam. You got a gift from your great, 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 whatever grandfather. And it was the nature of sin, which is failure. You got a nature of failure. That misses the mark of the glory, the high opinion, the high value of God. It, it, was, it was built into the package when you came out of your mama. You got it for free. So Jesus comes along and deals with the nature of sin and kills you. Because that's the only way he can deal with it. He had to kill you. He killed you. He killed you good. But you still have these effects of the sin. Because whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So if you've lived an entire lifetime of sowing to your flesh and sowing evil and doing terrible stuff, 
then the best you can do is be born again and hope that it's going to get better, but then you're going to reap all this terrible stuff in the rest of your life. you still got the curse working. you still got all this stuff that you did. you still got all these terrible thoughts that you've had. you got all these problems and issues and addictions and all that kind of stuff. So Jesus comes along and he says, T-Telestai. He says, not only am I changing their nature, but I'm severing them from everything in the past. Yes. So nothing gets to come over. All your crops that you've sown before, crop failure. All the stupid, evil, terrible, dumb things that you used to think and do, crop failure. Jesus killed that too. So he kills the nature of sin. And then he comes along and he kills the fruit from the nature of that sin. So you get to walk out. And it says in in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that all things become new. All things become new. You don't even get to say, well, I used to be this way. Because that guy, I went to high school with Scott and Tanya. And in high school, I was not a preacher. (laughs) And I'll have people, because I went to high school in the region, I'll have people that I haven't seen for 25 or whatever years since I went to high school, and I'll walk up, hey, Steve, hey, man, remember the thing with the stuff? And I'm like, I don't. Uh, You have to remember, we did the thing. I don't remember that. Ah, come on, I know you're a preacher, but... No, it, like, really happened. Like, there's stuff I don't even remember. You don't have to take that with you. You can. you got permission to. If you want to carry a bunch of luggage and drag it over to heaven, and then you get to the pearly gates, you're like, okay, I made it. And they're like, why'd you drag all that? Well, wasn't I supposed to? No, stupid. Leave it in hell. That's where it belongs. I've been carrying this my whole life. Yeah, you're pretty dumb. Let it go. <laughs> Jesus severed it. T. Telestai. He stamped the receipt. It's done. Paid in full. <sighs> Colossians 1. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness. Has, past tense, delivered us from the power of darkness. And translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He translated us into heaven. Well, I'm not experiencing heaven. Well, that's on you. That's not Him. He finished it. You want to experience heaven? Experience it. Jesus told us to pray that way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. Look at all y'all knowing scripture. On earth as it is in heaven. Why would he tell us to pray that and says, no heaven for you until the afterlife. (laughs) Jesus, make up your mind. Heaven later or heaven now? now. So he made up his mind. Heaven now. Heaven now. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians chapter 1 says literally the same thing. It's a double dipper. uh, Number 4, the fourth thing that happened with Tetelestai was also a turning point in a period. A turning point in a covenant. There used to be an old covenant. You know what happened in the old covenant? You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. And then Jesus came and killed the covenant. And then gave us a whole new covenant. And here's the cool thing. He didn't make the covenant. And this is where people get messed up with the covenant. It's not a covenant between God and you. Because you suck at keeping covenants. (laughs) You've been sucking a long time. God didn't make the covenant with you. Because when He made the covenant with mankind before, they sucked too. It came with the Adam nature. We suck at covenants. God's always perfect. He's always faithful. He always keeps His part. And then mankind comes along and worships idols, does stupid stuff, 
violates the covenant, and then we got to get spankings because we did all the dumb stuff. And so God came on and said, well, this system obviously is not working because mankind is, eh. So what he did was the father said, hey, Jesus, how about you become man? I'll stay God. We make a covenant together. And then the covenant is between God and man, but it's in you as a man and you can never break the covenant. And Jesus said, T. Telestai. And so God said, this is the covenant that I'm going to make. I'm going to make it with the man, the human, so it's legal. He makes a covenant with Jesus who can never, ever violate the covenant because he's faithful completely to the end. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never break the covenant. The Father will never break the covenant. And we get to stand in the middle of that. And every time we violate the covenant, Jesus pays for the tetelestai of you violating the covenant. You have a mediator in heaven that says, that son James is righteous and truly holy. I've washed him in my blood. And the Father says, that's what the covenant says. So we have a new covenant. The fifth thing, and I got scriptures on that if you want scriptures. The fifth thing is that there would be, this is the equivalent of what the the Levitical priest would say. I'm trying to go fast. This is the equivalent of the Hebrew word, tehar, in Leviticus chapter 14, when they would pronounce a leprous person clean. Which, by the way, never happened in the Old Testament. There's only two historical recollections of anybody with leprosy ever getting healed. In the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes along and he does them by the tens. <laughs> Amen. Pow! What the, the person that got healed of leprosy. Leprosy was like a sin and a sickness in one. If you were a leper, everybody knew you were a sinner. Like it was an outward expression of you being a terrible person. And you were physically sick. Like special, terrible, horrible, wretched sick. Body parts fall off. Their noses would fall off. Their fingers and toes would fall off. Terrible sickness. And Jesus comes along and just heals these people like right and left. Doesn't even have to touch them. They can be standing off. Oh, have mercy on us. Fine. There you go. Take some mercy. Tetelestai. This is the word. So when Jesus pronounced that, I'm going to do this really fast. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, says that uh, Jesus, prophetically speaking about who he was, says that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But... You got sometimes the butts in the Bible are beautiful, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and by his and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. So what gets you healed? Tithing? Eating kale? (laughs) No, that gives you gas. Working out? Being healthy? Taking vitamins and supplements? No. What gets you healed is stripes. Which you can't do, y'all. You can't do it. Matthew 8, 7, Matthew 8, 16. 
For those of the people that think, well, that's not really physical healing. He didn't really do that. Matthew 8.16. So the writer of Matthew says that when the evening was come, they brought unto him many. <laughs> I, can't, I want to preach on this stuff so bad. That were possessed with devils. You know, being possessed with demons and being sick was basically the same thing. 50% of the people that got healed in Jesus' ministry had demons cast out of them. <laughs> Somebody's thinking, man, I've been sick for a while. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed some of the folks every once in a while just to show all. Does anybody know what all means in the Greek? Are you in awe? So you could go to Jesus, humble yourself, not have any faith whatsoever in your life, your lifestyle, what you do or what you didn't do, how holy you are, how unholy you are. Go to Him based just upon His stripes and get healing. You guys are probably in some weird, crazy church that believes that God heals people. First Peter 2.24 So Isaiah says, by his stripes you are healed. Matthew 8.17 says, oh, I didn't do 17. I'm sorry, I just did 16. Can you go back? Matthew 8.17 says, the reason that he healed people was to prove that the scripture about him was the facts. That's what that says. That says the literally the reason he was healing people was to fulfill what Isaiah said that he would do, which was heal people. Has he changed? First Peter two twenty four. Peter says, By his stripes we were. So Isaiah, prophetically looking to the future, said there's this Messiah that's going to come. He's going to take stripes. He's going to heal you. Matthew 8, 17, he's in the middle of his ministry, and it says, I am healing you. And then he takes the stripes at Golgotha, says, T. Telestai, and then Peter says, remember that moment on the cross? That's when he healed you. There are people in this room, you've been healed for 2,000 years. And still struggling with symptoms of something that he dealt with 2,000 years ago. Because the snake slithered into your garden and he says, no, 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 you don't have it. If you had it, you'd know it. Here, why don't you eat from the tree? Why don't you take an antibiotic? Tetelestai. Those are the five things that I want to talk about today that he did. I'm sorry it took a little longer, but this is important for us to get. If you're going to live in the finished work of the cross, you need to know what he finished at the cross. And that's what he finished at the cross. He's killed everything that was Adam, and he made you a new Adam. And all of that is for you. All right, I'd like to bless you. Please rise. We're going to have the altar ministers come down, and they're going to minister to the finished work of the cross to you.
Thank you so much for sharing a few minutes with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His precious, life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Pastor Steve Castle and Beloved Church, please visit us online at BelovedChurchIllinois.com or call us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is a place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. Beloved, you who are greatly loved by the Father, I pray, I desire above all things that you prosper and you experience divine health to the degree that you allow that to saturate and prosper your soul. I pray that you receive these words and they change every aspect of your life. I love you. I'll see you again soon.